Good morning, church. How are you? It's good to be back here. I was back here last year. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Sinner. My last name is Redeemed. So I, I fit into the world real well. Only one thing's different. I stand for the Word of Christ. I'm going to bring it to you as well. Today we're going to talk about Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, not many people want to touch Nehemiah chapter 8. They'll go real good through 1 through 4. They'll feel strong through a little bit later. And then 13, they'll feel like they finished strong. But 8 is unveiling. It's unfurling. Do you feel the presence of God in this room? You can just nod your head or you can shrug your shoulders. But I'm asking you to be honest. Because sometimes we can be in this beautiful space and we don't even know God is present. Let me give you an example. Those pictures up on the wall of those beautiful children and those smiles coming together. That's a slice. The fact that there's a pastor here that didn't get with the praise worship band. So we usually like to sink in together to uh, support the sermon. We didn't get together this week. But here's some of the words that I heard today, this morning. Carry me. Now, as an old veteran, nobody likes to be carried. Right? We like to carry our own weight. But when we get hurt on the battlefield of life, I'm looking for somebody to carry me. I saw um, love relentless. That's a beautiful statement. It's impossible for us to relentlessly love without Christ. Because that means I'm going to forgive everything that you've done to me. And I've done to you. How am I going to do that? It's so much. I heard chasing shadows and praying in the desert. But I'll be open to you. I thought that said dessert. So pray to the dessert. And I'm not short on any kind of meals or I'm not late to anything. But these are words that, um, that set our heart in place. Because that's what you need for Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8 says this, you've got to calm yourself. You've got to let everything go. You've got to give every inch of your heart, mind, and soul into this message. And then you're going to go out into this earth. You've got to do something with that. Because you're not allowed. It would be shortcoming in your life if you left this service and didn't tell anybody about it. Now, I'm a reservation preacher. We traveled over the reservations, my wife and I, just to bring the Word of God. And usually it's a dirt floor and the walls are kind of tilted this side. So if anybody has a dog that you can just let run up the aisle, I'd be good with that. But you see, in the reservation, there's not enough seats. There's barely enough electricity. And sometimes it's raining and drops of rain just fall on you as you're preaching. You wish you had electrical. You wish you had a, a beautiful band like we had today, but you got each other. So today when I saw you giving each other peace and, and hugs and joy, that's church. I love that. Yeah, that's an amen. It certainly is. You know, if you could do that a couple times through the service, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Because what it means is praise and victory. I don't know if you realize it, but another slice is this. There are instruments on your stage. You have a stage. That's amazing. You have this big, beautiful building where amazing ministry is happening. Thank you, Jesus. You've got 
PowerPoints and lighting and all these wonderful things that you may take for granted. Somebody played those instruments because somebody learned how to do that. And then somebody was loved by God and they became saved. And now they played for a different reason. In our spiritual preparation room known as the green room, they prepared me well with some good eggs and sausage. I remembered it last year, and I prayed, Lord, 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 please, just let there be eggs. Let there be eggs and sausage. And somebody made some really strong coffee back there. And being an eight-year veteran of the Air Force, I love strong coffee. In fact, I asked, whose tube sock did we use to make this? Because it was strong and good. But the fellowship is beautiful. I asked that the, the, the group that prepared and played for you today, I said, what if something goes wrong? What if everything goes off? We have to ask ourselves that. Would some people get up and leave? Or would you come to the front? Because I know I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep on going, even if it's under a, a cell phone lighting. Let your life never stop finding truth, finding Christ. Oh, you're never too big a businessman. You're never too much more than anything that you think you are. Just let it all go. Put your stripes away. Put everything away and just be with us today. This is a good place to be. Your pastors are resting. And I love that. I love calling pastors when they're resting and asking them, are you resting? And I can tell in their voice. If they've been making a sermon, I can tell. If they've been uh, being busy with stuff, I can tell that too. So, you know, one of the things on the reservation is they tell us, if you haven't found rest, you've got to go back up and get it. So I'm praying that they have great rest today. I'm also praying for something else this morning, and I want you to pray with me. As a police and fire chaplain for Nationwide Chaplains, every moment of the day we're responding to something. This morning, one minute before I walked in these doors... There was an accident on one of our expressways. A grandfather had a heart attack. And his car went into an accident. Now, what makes this unique is that the family is waiting for a wedding today. And so, probably about a half hour ago, a family was notified that grandfather won't be with us. So I'd ask you to pray for that family. Pray for the chaplains that have been assigned there, that they be of great comfort. Pray for the wife of the grandfather. Pray for the doctors and the nurses. Sometimes we're all around crisis. And we say we're okay. But today, we just need to pray for them as we sit in our church and worship. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you We are so thankful that we get to sit in this beautiful house, that we get to pray, confess, celebrate, and be victorious with you. Lord, I ask that you be with this family that is going to incur amazing pain, unplanned tragedy. We ask, Lord, that that chaplain be equipped with the right thing to say. Let him be the face of you as he comforts them. And in the same stroke, Lord, 
we here sitting in these seats have got to take in these words of Nehemiah 8 so that we can be prepared to go into that world. Because right outside those doors, Lord, you have taught us warfare awaits us. Satan circles this building, Lord. And I'm thankful that you've kept him at bay. Because we've got to learn some things. We've got to drink in some things. We've got to confess some things. We have got to be renewed. Let it be this day, Lord. Let it be. In your heavenly and perfect name, amen. The theme is Nehemiah. Nehemiah did many things for kingdom purposes. But the question we're going to have to ask ourselves is what are we going to do for kingdom purposes? This can be an ugly question for all of us because it accurately depicts something. It's intentions from reality. It's perceptions from actuality. And it's the sin of man against God's glory. So what is this whole thing about? So after seven years of exile, the Jews had returned home and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. A good study all on its own. They were able to worship God in their own land, but the city lay in ruins. The once great capital of the promised land was a depressed rubble, a heap. The book of Nehemiah is about reestablishing God's people with physically and spiritually and passion and armor. In the first part of the book, Nehemiah restores Jerusalem in a physical sense. When Nehemiah hears that the wall is broken down and the gates have burned, he weeps. Now recently there was a fire in somebody's house. And the house burnt down and they wept. All of our stuff was in there. All of our pictures, our diplomas, our Bible. Everything is gone. Now, if you thought about your house where everything's at right now, it would be an emotional challenge for you. Well, Nehemiah's feeling the same thing about his city. It's in rubble. So Nehemiah leads and directs the project. Each family built this section of the wall directly in front of their houses. And with hard work, the wall was astonishingly completed in 52 days. Now today, the wall is about two and a half miles around if you were to walk it. The walls are 40 feet high and they're eight foot thick. That's today. Back in his day, Nehemiah's day, it's probably a little bit, a lot smaller, not as high, not as thick. But to build a wall takes craftsmanship, takes instruction, takes materials. It takes a loving God, and that's what that they received. The governors lose their, um, were, got very angry and viciously opposed Nehemiah's efforts. That would be the political leaders of that day. The governors lose their confidence because they recognize that all this work in 52 days, we can't even get a stretch of highway finished in 52 days. But they got it done and the governors realized this must be the work of God. The second thing he does is Nehemiah restores economic justice in the land, admonishing the, the wealthy for taking advantage of the less fortunate. Nehemiah and a very special person by the name of Ezra bring spiritual revival to Jerusalem. 
It's a time of Israel finding and reestablishing themselves again as a nation after the long period of the exile in Babylon. Ezra reads the law of Moses out loud with the people and the, and the nation rededicates to obeying God. Later, Nehemiah works diligently to point people back to the law of Moses. We know he was afraid. He was angry. We even see him break his own narrative only to pray to God. This book gives us a look into the mind of an Old Testament man of God, giving us examples of how to lead, how to pray, how to persevere in the midst of discouragement. But he had an interesting role. We don't have cupbearers anymore, so to speak. They're just hidden now. It's a different title. But he was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And when he gets some disturbing news, he feels. Nehemiah then goes um, ahead by approval of King Artaxerxes. Now, there's several kings, but we'll cover that later. They're in dire straits and in shambles. But he gives them the approval to go forward. There were three kings in that time period, but this one was probably the one called Longamanus. He reigned for 40 years and was the grandson of Darius. Fourteen years later, he permitted Nehemiah to return and rebuild. So many things had to happen. He is the one stationing soldiers, commissioning singers in the temple, and making sure the temple stays clean. Plus, Nehemiah teams up with Ezra to rededicate. So the outline that um, we're going to be standing on top of, the foundation, is Nehemiah rebuilds a wall and he remembers the law. I want to begin with chapter 8. It's about a simple formula for obedience. Here's the formula. Stop. Listen. Confess. Repent or change and celebrate. Stop. Listen. Confess. Repent. Celebrate. Listen to his word. All the people gathered together at the square in the front of the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given to Israel. On that first day of the seventh month, Ezra... The priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out from daybreak until noon before the men and the women and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra is a very special individual who loves Jesus. You'd have to ask yourself, if somebody asked you to read the Bible out in the front of Springbrook Church for four hours, for the glory of God, would you do it? Some people would call you crazy. Some people would call you mad. But the lovers of Jesus Christ would say, I'll take the second hour. I'll take the third. I'm with you. I'll hold your water. Let's do this. The heart of a man that loves Jesus Ezra was responsible for having the temple rebuilt and for returning God's people to worship. Nehemiah, by rebuilding the wall, was just carrying on the next phase. 
The Jerusalem wall in Nehemiah's time had many gates for many reasons. Men and women, this is a good study. What were the gates' names and what was the spiritual implications of it? Listen to the names of the gates. The sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the refuse gate, or called the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, which we'll be talking about today, the horse gate, the inspection gate, where David would inspect his troops. Thank you for fighting, brother. Looks like you got a cut on your head. Let's get that taken care of. And then there was this one called the east gate. Now, there's your Bible study. Because when somebody comes back, they're coming through the east gate. So many good things to know. But the water gate led down to the springs, known as the Gihon Springs, which was located adjacent to a beautiful valley. Ezra would read outside of this water gate for hours. And people would come and they would leave. They were so caught into the word that he was reading. It's no coincidence that the water gate was located next to the fountain gate. The two often go together. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes the word of God alive to us, personally allowing and cleansing encouragement and direction to take place in our life. People do not gather together for things of God unless the Spirit of God has moved them. You somehow made it from a sleepy head to a shower to a car to here. You made it. And some of you might have thought that that was your own volition. That was your own strength carrying you across those, those hallways. I would just pray that it was the Holy Spirit saying, let's go, let's go. People do not desire God's word unless the Spirit of God has moved in them. My first indoctrination into um, church at oh, my mid-twenties was going to a, a Southern Baptist church where the preacher stood in a pulpit about 20 stories high and he'd point out over the audience with this big evangelical finger that would kind of poke people in the front row. And he said, I saw you at the bar. I saw you at so-and-so's house. I saw And he would go down the line, and I was becoming absolutely terrified. And I'd hope he'd lose his wind before he got to me, because I was sitting in the front row. And then some little baby cried out, Amen. And it, it blew his distraction. I was thankful to Jesus. <laughs> It was my first walk, and then I walked to another church and another land and another level. So gracious. I went to seminary at the ripe old age of 45 and finished at 50. If any of you are wondering, should I go? I'll only give you the same question that that Don Cole from Moody Bible asked me. Well, how old are you going to be if you graduate? I said, probably about 50. Oh, Well, how old are you going to be if you uh, don't go to school? Probably 50. Do you have any more questions? If you have the spiritual prompting to go to learn more, find somebody to help encourage you. You must go. Because God can do so much with your heart, your land, your body, your eyes. So much. So I pray that you all would consider that. Pulpits are the earth so that the word of God can be heard. 
I stand with a microphone on a, on a platform that is higher so that the word has an uh, opportunity to propagate. Every Sunday we prepare our churches for service. We prepare the sanctuary and the seats and, and set the greeters in place and the lights and speakers and microphones. But we should never forget to prepare our hearts. You must come willing to forget about your life for a second. Forget about the agendas. Those phones that you and I have have a message from Satan and a message from God. It really all depends on what you're going to be distracted by. At his right hand and his left in this message that I just read, Ezra was surrounded by men and women that supported him. You see, when we see somebody speak about ministry, that's one thing. But if we see people around them or know people that support them, it says something completely different. Last year, Springbrook Church blessed us with a love offering. And we did well to use that money for God's purposes. Because your hearts were in the right place, our ministry has gone to now 30 agencies. We have opened up an operation in Washington, D.C. We have opened up an operation in Miami, Florida. We are talking to Phoenix and Seattle as we speak. This is not easy ministry. But because we have your prayers and your love and your provision, we went forward. And as humans, we just don't know where that would come. But the Lord blessed us all. The ministry of God's words has greatest effects when people can see men and women who are in support of it in obedience. All the people in many times answer amen and did at this time in Nehemiah. The work of the word of God and the spirit of God has three immediate results. In that session where Ezra read, the people thank God by saying that word amen. So be it. They said they, they lifted their hands um, in prayer and thanks. They worshipped and bowed down. Thanksgiving, prayer, and praises are all good measures of how the Spirit of God and the Word of God are working in us. Many people raise their hand because they're being indwelled by the Spirit. It just feels so beautiful to do what you're doing. Let's move to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. It's about understanding. They read out the book of the law of God and translating and giving meaning so that the people could understand what was read. They helped the people understand the law. Now, your pastors read Scripture. They explain Scripture. You have small groups. You have gatherings of affinity. And then you have your own time where you read the Bible, where you perhaps have a commentary. I highly suggest for everybody... Five cups of coffee is about the same amount you'll pay for a good commentary. Some verses in the Bible need understanding. And if you're the head of a household, whoever you are, you are responsible for taking your family into that definition. Get your commentary. And if you're so moved, get your concordance. And if you're technically savvy, all that's in one software. Get it. Get it all. Get understanding. 
Isn't that what the Lord said? Get understanding. Get knowledge. So that's what Ezra was doing. He was not only just talking about the Pentateuch, but he was helping people understand it. Let's move on. Now we're going to read uh, verses 9 through 11 about emotion. Nehemiah, the the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is a holy day. Do not mourn. For all the people are weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. All the people wept when they heard the words of the law. The word of God went through them. In Second Timothy, the Lord reminds us, tell us two things the word of God is profitable for, reproof and correction. Sometimes it hurts to be reproved and corrected, but they're doing this in a gentle and loving way. Do not mourn and do not weep. It's a good thing to be sad under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is a good thing through the Holy Spirit. If the sense of conviction is greater than the sense of what God is doing in His good work, the tears are not good. One more time. Is the sense of conviction is greater than the sense of what God is doing in your life, the tears are not good. I'm saying that the knowledge of our sin should never be bigger than the knowledge of Jesus. We are great sinners, but we serve an amazing, loving, great Savior. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. People felt sad because they were aware of their own sin. But they could walk in joy because God did a great work in them and for them and around them. I want to share with you a fresh translation of that verse 10 that we read. Let me read it again. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich and drink what is sweet and send portions of those who have nothing prepared since today is holy to the Lord. Now, as we read those, we're thinking I should go eat something and I should go feed somebody. But I want you to hear what a young lady told me. She said, I read it like this. I'm going to take notice of what comforts people. I'm going to take notice of what surprises me and what encourages both. I'm going to write it down for two weeks on a little pad of paper. The second thing she says is, I'm going to tend to my godly needs. Spiritual disciplines fill me. They define me. They redirect me. They fortify me. And it glorifies God. So, first thing, she's going to take notice. Second thing, she's going to tend to godly needs. Third, she says, I'm going to make a playlist for when I feel sad, times when I feel happy, and then there's times where I just want to dance. Now, here's a personal question. Have you ever danced lately? Just by yourself in a room, something magnificent happened and you just started dancing? Probably not. But I'm telling you, you're released. Surrender to it. If you dance with your wife in the kitchen, do that. If you go to be with your children, I don't care how old they are, because you know they're all babies. They never grow old, and even when they're 60, they're all our babies. 
So when I ask people, hey, how, how's your babies? Well, you know, my kids now, they're about 40, 30, 20, whatever. No, they're your babies. Dance with your babies. Now the kids are going, oh, man, don't come near me. Don't come near me with your dance. You guys dance so bad. This, this young lady said, I'm going to get music in my head that will make me feel and think and get better when I'm sad and when I'm happy. But when I want to dance, I need music. She also said this, I'm going to have mindful fun. Now, a while back, somebody invited me to go um, shoot clay pigeons called skeet. Now, there's two things I don't need to be around, any type of tools or gun, even though I serve the police and fire departments. It's fun to be out there. So I said, okay, well, I wanted the fellowship. So about four of us went out there. We had a great lunch together. We talked about the ministry and the people that are being saved. We talked about the tragedy. We wept. We laughed. And then we went out to the skeet range. And the instructor says, well, here's the rifle. Here's what it does. Here's how you do it. And so the first skeet came out. I closed my eyes and I pulled the trigger and it hit it. (laughs) There is a God. Well, all of us hit something and it was a great time. And then I find out the instructor was a prison guard. And I said, well, I'm a chaplain for law enforcement and firefighters. He looked at me straight in the eye in that second. He goes, I wish we would have had that. I really do. And I felt there was so much more behind his eyes. See, when you're in the middle of mindful fun that the Lord loves, and if any of you think the Lord didn't have mindful fun, read your Bible. Every place he went was mindful fun. Want to walk on the water? Mindful fun. Want to sit through the storm on a boat? Think your life's going to end? Mindful fun. Want to build the world? Build a mountain? Move mountain? Think about creation? Want to build a heaven? Mindful fun. But for us, it has to be about fun for us that glorifies God. The last thing she said is this. I'm going to find bouquets of hope. So when, when you smell a bouquet, whatever it is, it just becomes magnificent. It's just beautiful smell, providing you don't have hay fever. Well, what she's telling us is... Find uh, the, the bouquets of hope in your life. The Lord gives us amazing scents in this world. The smell of a newborn baby, not the diapers, just the baby. The smell of a mountain morning fresh air. The familiar scent of your loved one's cologne or perfume. When we go into the homes and we help people deal with crisis and death, one woman said, I'll be right back. I, I just need to get something. And so when these things happen, we usually follow people to whatever room they go. And she went to the bedroom, and she got a shirt. She goes, I just want his scent to be near me. Cologne and perfume is beautiful, but our own personal scents are what God gave us. Our family will never forget your scent. There are fragrant spices and the beautiful scent of a fragrant flower, all made by God to help remember. How will you fill these five? How will you fill? We're coming down to the end of Nehemiah now, verses 12 through 14. It's about a vital celebration. 
They found the written law of the Lord that had commanded them. Moses had um, that commanded the Israelites should dwell in these booths during the festivals. And so they went out into the forest and got sticks and leaves, and they built these little lean-tos. And when the festival came, there were thousands of people, so they had some place to stay and rest. That was called the Festival of the Booths. It was also called the Festival of the Tabernacles. It was a certain time of the year. It was a godly ceremony. And the Lord brought gladness throughout. This is an important verse because it reminds us to celebrate with our people, with strangers of common-like knowledge. I love Jesus. So do you. Let's get together. This was also the opening to something called revival. On the reservation, we use the word revival differently. This revival began by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. Today we think his revival is very charismatic. I've heard the words of somebody as somebody raised their hand or um, perhaps somebody was so moved they went to the ground and prayed. If you go to the reservations, you see that, and it will scare some people who are not used to that. But don't let it scare you. Let it fortify you. We focus on emotional experiences in common day revival, God, laughing, happiness. But I want to introduce to you something different. There should be more attention to preaching God's word and moving to repentance. When I went to Haiti, I noticed how they prayed. They prayed like, God, please come tomorrow. This life is so painful. Please come. And they'd be weeping and on the ground. And the next morning when they were there, we'd be singing and filling the fatted calf and cleaning up. But that night, they'd be back in prayer. Lord, come now. When I visit revival gatherings, whether it's on the reservation or in in churches that know, I feel the voices of some of our our giant missionaries. William Carey, Adoram Judson, Jonathan Edwards, Amy Carmichael, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Finley, and so many more. I don't want their lives to be lost in vain. I want to remember their efforts to further the gospel in places where the world said, I'll take your life. I will kill you tragically. I will deal with you. And whoever they were just said, bring it. I'm here for Jesus. Just bring it. They had to focus on one thing. The word of God was preached. People became convicted. They fell to their knees. They tasted the cup of humility. People were focused on God's mercy. When you come out of revival, you should be wrecked, spiritually wrecked. You should be exhausted but you should be lifted and illuminated. Renewal is when God touches the heart of the individual. Revival is when God touches the community of faith. Revival produces evangelism. And evangelism, when combined with things like discipling, sustains revival. You see how that thread works? That's what's happening here in Springbrook. Pray that God works through Springbrook so you can experience all these things of revival. When Pastor Richard and I put on our nationwide chaplain's hats, we look to our Lord God and we say, Lord, fill us for this mission today, in this moment. 
again and again and again. Revival is in our hearts. We're constantly confessing. We're constantly being convicted. We want to draw power. We rest on each other. When Richard and I are on scene together or separately, we're praying for each other. This is the heart of revival. To create the mind for resilience. To build patience to know when to go and stay and push and pull. The Lord has to find people that chase after his heart. He unveils the kingdom eyes to the ministry and trains the kingdom ears. But most assuredly, he has to help his creation understand the power that is within you. We are in a constant state of revival. Eyes that hear, ears that see, and a heart in constant confession. Repentance, revival. This morning we were talking about getting back on track. Nehemiah 8 reminds us, be together, read, understand, interpret differently, find the music, go find the bouquet. All these things come together as one to make you stronger so that you can be a Nehemiah 8 soul. Turn this town upside down. You have been dipped in grace and made for this place of service. May God go with you. May you find joy in your steps on your way out. And always be with him. He loves you so much. Thank you so very much. God bless you all.